This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. Welcome to the uh, Washed Up Emo Podcast. Uh, my name is Tom Mullen, and with me as always is Mr. Ray Harkins. Um, we have a special guest today, um, a writer and music industry friend of mine, uh, Trevor Kelly. Um, he is on the podcast uh, today. He has written for magazines, Alternative Press, Enemy, Punk Planet, and Spin, among others. Um, and you may know him uh, along with Leslie Simon. They wrote a definitive book on emo entitled Everybody yeah. Hurts, An Essential Guide to Emo Culture. And currently, the only person to get every single one of my obscure emo references. Um, so, uh, Trevor, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, no sweat. Um I just think, you know, let's do a quick little background for, you know, everybody. You grew up in California. Um, what was sort of the show or the, the, the path to emo um, uh-huh. in two minutes or less that kind of got you? Ooh. I mean, from right. the, the sh- was it the show? Right. Was it a, well, I mean, I know you did a zine. What was sort of the I first... did do a zine. Uh, well, let me think about this. So... When I was a kid, I grew up in Simi Valley, California, which is uh, west of Los Angeles. It's northwest Los Angeles. It's um, also it's also the porn capital of the world, correct? P- porn is that what you said? Yeah, that's what I said. No, <laughs> I didn't stutter. Uh, it's uh, it's not, but it is near that. Uh, I think you're thinking of like Van Nuys or somewhere in the San Fernando there, Valley, is where most go. porn. But it's not far from there. So um, I grew up there, and sort of. Uh, you know, I guess I started going to shows in 1992, and at that point, the kind of two scenes that were going on that uh, a volley between, I guess, was sort of like the New Age record scene that was going on, and a lot of those shows happened in Huntington Beach um, at a bunch of venues I can't remember the names of. Probably like the, the Ice House, I feel like, was one of them or something like that in Fullerton. But, you know, like anything my heart feel related would end up somewhere out there. And so I the shows like that and see foundation or mean season and a bunch of bands like that. And then in on the other side, like west of, of Simi Valley, there was the 
Lita, Santa Barbara, like kind of hardcore scene that like Kevin Clark was the, the demigod of. Um, and it was, you know, both of those were so like, they, they were just such perfect hardcore scenes in that like a label totally defined it and like one dude totally defined it and like had a visual aesthetic and like if you liked one thing, it was super easy to like the next thing. Um, so I guess it was, it had to be somewhere in there um, because, I, you know, I would see bands like Endpoint, um, you know, when I would go see hardcore shows or I'd see bands like Still Life when I would go to some of the like, the like living room Kalita shows. So, you know, I, I guess it was like somewhere in 1992 that, you know, that stuff started like kind of coming across my, my teenage mind and, and blowing it, I guess. Did you kind of go to indie first or was it hardcore, no, hardcore right no, into emo? yeah. Yeah, it was it was like you know like I listened to like um, metal. <laughs> that, I mean, I bit. started the same way. Yeah, it was like you yeah. saw Headbangers Ball or you saw the whatever metal bands. Yeah, it definitely started there. Yeah, and, and like in 1982, obviously it was where the point where like it wasn't weird where you're like, I love Megadeth and Fugazi or Nirvana or what you know or like and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Like it was like this weird convergence of music and time where that, that kind of made sense. I, I, I would say before I started going to those shows, I was totally a confused mishmash of all that kind of stuff. Like, I loved Blood Sugar Sex Magic. It's weird because I, I do not like Red Hot Chili Peppers at all. At, at all. I so got grounded that. for that record. <laughs> I don't know how that, like, snuck past my, my pers- me, period. Just how I, at some point, was cool with that. But anyways, <laughs> that, that uh, there was, like, this, this whole like weird amalgamation of stuff going on. And so I was super into metal, but then I think, you know, being able to like see a band like Nirvana where I like the heaviness of it, but the melody of it and certainly like the angst of it made it easy to go listen to like, uh, you know, a hardcore band like Drift Again or something like that, where it was like, Oh, right. They're like, they're angsty and it's heavy too. It's like, it was, it was a kind of natural segue, I guess. Did you... But no, I wasn't into like indie. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, that would have been a good time to be like, yeah, dude, I totally love Dinosaur Junior, but I didn't. So. You you <laughs> it wasn't you until on, much later in my life. You hit on something, uh, Trevor, that I think is is cool, and a lot of people don't realize what a powerful scene the Santa Barbara scene and like you mentioned Galita, like you know most people don't even know what yeah. that is. Uh, right, right, and it's, it's only the people who do know know. <laughs> Like, oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, I, I think it was, I think it's cool where y- you did have a juxtaposition because I myself was also, you know, going to shows in Southern California and I dated a girl that went to UCSB, so I, I would go to shows like the Pickle Patch and stuff, and so yeah. you had these two vastly different things where it was like in Orange County and in LA you had, you know, somewhat legitimate venues like you know Showcase Theater and um, right. you know before. Chain Reaction was called Chain Reaction Public Story, whatever. So you had these like legitimate venues, and then you had Santa Barbara, where it was like they had, you know, they had the living room, but that place changed every like two years, and it was right. just like it was the total like DIY scene. So it was like it's cool that you had that same experience as well. Right. Yeah. No. It, it's interesting, and I'm sure it's still happening. You know, somewhere. I'm sure it's like someone who's still like you know, throwing a show in a, a living room in, you know, IV somewhere. And, and it's probably like a melodic hardcore band and I'm, I'm 
certain that the same thing's happening with, you know, in, in the Orange County where there's, you know, some sort of... Yeah, and I always found it interesting, too, and I'm sure Tom has had similar experiences where um, a lot of the bands, like, it wasn't out of the realm of possibilities to have a band that, you know, sounded like, you know, Mineral Christy Front Drive, that type of stuff, play with, like, a literal hardcore band. Like, you know, you'd see... Right. I mean, this yeah. is extreme, but, like, you know, you could see, like, Tenured Fight play with Mineral, even though that's, like I said, extreme. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. in, only in certain places would that kind of work, where people would be that accepting to be like, yeah, I, I like both genres. Yeah, totally. I mean, I saw, like, um, I remember uh, Problem Spring played... Pickled Patch um, in gosh, maybe like 96 or 7 or something. Probably 90, oh, 96, I think it was. They played there, and then the next night they played the Huntington Beach Library. And at the Huntington Beach Library, if I remember correctly, they played with Man as a Bastard and the, the Locust, I think. <laughs> or, or something along those lines where we're just like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, this is crazy. Um, but yeah, like, that, that it was seem normal i guess i mean i was actually i was just looking at um the texas the reason tour dates and i saw some shows i mean they did a show with madball and yeah you look at it then like i was reading through the entire shows and just looking at them it was normal to do that yeah yeah absolutely i think i want to say they play with donuts oh god i think hey ray i think we have a rule we can't bring up donuts ever again that fucking band sucks (laughs) Se- se- yeah. <laughs> that's an odd show though I mean, that's crazy second time that. in like four episodes <laughs> thanks a lot Trevor really this happens a lot yeah donuts got brought and it's up funny, yeah. and it's funny cause that, <laughs> and I, I think it's uh, I think it's funny too because obviously now you look at the tour packages that get sent out and diversity is completely frowned upon where it's like or or, or if it if it isn't frowned upon where it's like uh you know, the headlining band is like, I don't care. We'll draw whoever we're going to draw. And these kids will be forced to watch these bands. We just want to take bands we like on tour. The kids that watch the opening bands go, this is the worst shit I've ever heard. What is this? This is terrible. And so right. it's just it's just funny to have that. Yeah. I'm sure there's there's some, you know, like... Yeah. There's got, there's got to be some tours that are so... I mean, you know, I was talking to somebody last night about... Um, I remember seeing cursive mastodon and against me on the same bill and being like awesome <laughs> like that was a full u.s tour <laughs> like yeah. okay well, what's, i mean sure it happens but it's yeah well i think it's interesting that you know with you know radio and shows it's like radio this is only this one genre that you must listen to or with tours you're gonna go to this metal core shit tour but i think a kid likes all that that's why they listen to Spotify or listen to Pandora because of that because they they like different things and uh, um, yeah you would think that they would want to keep doing that but they're too scared I guess or not at that time but I guess we gotta get donuts back to do this Yeah, that's the that's the side of mine. You need to live in a world where donuts donuts exist again, and then you'll have more eclectic shit. I I think I think we I think it's indicative that we need to absolutely find a member of Donuts to interview for this podcast. Oh, without without a doubt, I will learn Swedish or whatever I need to learn. (laughs) 
funny. I, I mean, I definitely haven't thought of donuts in a really long time. Welcome to the Washed Up Emo Podcast. That is, <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I do for my entire life. Where, where, where yeah, where, where you go to think of things you haven't thought of in a long time, right? Well, um, we 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 like to refer to it as unearthing uh, hidden gems. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I guarantee you, I will not be looking them up on Spotify or <laughs> such thing tonight. Um, I won't forget about them for another ten years. <laughs> um, I guess what what was the sort of the band that you think, or what was the? I mean, for me, the first emo band for me that someone told me about was Get Up Kids, and then Promise Ring, and then I sort of researched back right. and forward. What was what was the one for you? Was it while you were in college? Was it while you were doing the Zine? And where did you kind right. of branch off from that, and you could, you know, sort of dive into it? Right. Um. Uh, well. Good question. I, it's weird because I, I certainly, I mean, one of the first like punk bands I got into um, was Fugazi, and then from there I got into Embrace and like any other kind of stuff that wasn't just Minor Threat. So I, I, I was aware of like the proto emo bands, but I just don't think I thought of them in that way at the time. Like I, I, I definitely didn't think of um, Fugazi's 13 songs of that when the first time I heard it. You know, I just thought of them as a punk band, um, or even like stuff like statue where I was like, clearly it wasn't quite hardcore, but it, and it was sort of more progressive in, in its lyricism and sentiments, I guess. Um, but I didn't think of it as that. I don't think it was probably until like, like my, my sophomore or, or junior year of high school, where I, I started thinking of bands in that light, and it was it was mostly like Jawbreaker. Like I bought the, the Busy Seven Inch, and I remember thinking like, "What is this?" And then I bought like Soar by Sam I think, and like being like, "This is not this is not like punk, it's not like hardcore, but it is sort of." But then it's you know, and so it's kind of like figuring out it was a different thing. But I don't think anyone called it emo. I mean, I think I got way more of the the stuff like the the evolution stuff is emo. Like I definitely thought of still life as an emo band. Um so it wasn't like the you know, the like kind of like, you know it wasn't like the the, the first wave and it wasn't like the, the typical second wave stuff. I guess it was more like it was like Jawbreaker and still still life and that kind of stuff. I I started thinking of it as that. Um and it was really quick. Like, you know, like I, I I got super into Jawbreaker, and, and within, I would say, like, months even, it was like, I would read an interview with them, or or I think it was through a J-Church interview that I first found out about Seam, and I was like, oh, wow, this sounds like the stuff I like, but really, really good, like, really, the, the songwriting I thought was really tight, and then, you know, someone gave me a copy of Spiderland uh, by Slant, and I was like, you know, my mind was blown, it, it felt like these, so it had these elements of what I was listening to, um, but was just like nothing else I'd ever heard. And so I would say it was during high school, like it wouldn't be odd that I would go, you know, like buy a flying saucer attack record and then also buy, you know, um, LP2 by Sunday real estate or something like that. So it was, it was sort of in, in high school for me that I kind of, you know, found emo and then kind of listened to indie rock stuff too. And I, it's really like, that's been pretty much the last 20 years, or how old am I now? 20, 15 years of my life, really, has been um, kind of just listening to those genres of music obsessively. 
and other stuff entering in at different points as well. But, um, yeah, that, that's essentially, I guess, when it was. I mean, from did that kind of lead into the in into the zine that you did? I I, for, I forget the oh, name. Yeah, yeah, it was called "Stop Breathing," yeah. um, which which was a pavement song. But the, the the it was so that's a great example of me saying like, oh, these were these two worlds that I really like adored. You know, like the name of the zine came from the pavement song. The guitar player from the Promise Ring designed it, um, and they and the Promise Ring sold it on tour. And, you know, like, Sunny Day Real Estate was on the cover, or, or you know, and, like, um, some of the other people. Then On One Issue, Super Chunk was on the cover. So it was kind of like, it kind of did both, you know, like, um, which I which didn't seem that weird, um, to be honest. Like, I think by the, you know, because maybe the age I was at, by the end of the, like, 90s, I think it was super, you know, like, the first Promise Ring record has a reference to a Red House Painter's song in it you know so it's like like there was that it totally made sense like those guys felt like peers to me because it was like i would go and sit with them and talk about like okay computer and it was like this mind-blowing experience or whatever but at the same time i could talk to them about the start today mm-hmm. so it was like you know like it, it seemed like by the end of the 90s it was totally normal you know like a band like just brazil totally like exemplifies that to me you know it's like you have guys that were in Resurrection in that band, you know, <laughs> and like, yeah. and like handsome, but yeah, like, you know, by the time they put out their second record, it sounded like Wilco. Well, so. it, it was almost like they got older before us and we were younger, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of went mm-hmm. through their harder phase and then they did it and now we're sort of in that loop, <laughs> I feel like. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, a lot of those, it was like this perfect storm of seeing bands like that or, um, you know, Death Cab even, like those first two Death Cab records, like, and Pedro the Lion, you know, it was like a lot of guys who I felt like, I mean, maybe less so with Death Cab, um, but, you know, that I could talk to you about growing up listening to hardcore, but that I could talk to him about like a Talk Talk record too, if I wanted to or whatever. And so it was like, it was kind of this perfect storm for me. Um, personally, you know, when, when that sort of second wave emo band, especially the Jage ones, um, kind of became, you know, sort of omnipresent, like that, that stuff was super influential on me. And, and like, it's weird because, you know, obviously it's like, I was kind of like my own cottage industry in my house, like creating a fanzine, selling it, booking all the ads, you know, like paying Jason and Josh to design it and all these like different things that I was doing. Um, and so you, you know, I, I, that point I was like 20 or something like that or 19 when I was like publishing my being regularly. Um, and you have to look to someone as like, sort of like, you know, not necessarily an inspiration, but as a blueprint, you know? And like, for me, it was like, those guys were so cool to me, those J tree guys, and you know, like we're always very supportive and helpful. And that for me, I think that what was important about that time was, I mean, the music was super important, but for me personally, um, it was like, you know, that someone who was a few years older than me and had a lot more experience than me would, it totally was <laughs> not not questionable for them to be like, oh yeah, here's, you should go talk to this person. This is how you put together your own little business out of your bedroom, you know? Like, I, I don't know if that, it, even as, you know, it becomes easier to do that completely um, on your own now, I, you know, I don't know if a total stranger would help a total stranger as much as, some people did back then, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I, hope they, I hope they would. 
yeah, I just don't know. I read the actually the little um, history that you did for J Tree that was on their site. Um, right. And I mean, it's 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 so it's it's cheesy to say that now. It's it's heartfelt. It's uh, you could totally tell yeah. that that you know that label and there's so many records from that label that you know were so influential and and bands and from that era and it just for those guys to totally do that like some random person um mm-hmm. asking for help and they did it and i don't it, it, i don't know if it's just from the the hardcore mentality of kind of helping each other out or the scene but um right. they kind of came you know from that that world too yeah and i don't know it, it like it certainly had an effect on me, me to this day where um you know, I think every idea is worth listening to. And, every, you know, every sort of, un- like, I, you know, this is, has uh, curbed itself in the past few years since I moved away from, like, writing. But there was a point, you know, where I'd have, like, college kids just send me emails. And, you know, at that point in my life, I was in my late 20s, and I'd, they would be like, how do I become a writer or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I would literally be like, here's my phone number, you know? Like, <laughs> if you want to talk about it, because I had someone else do that to me essentially so yeah. like it, it was it was uh you know very it made it left an indelible mark on me i guess yeah that's yeah. awesome it's fine. i had the same conversation with somebody today about that um that I, uh, someone was helping me today and he said the same thing so <laughs> that that's really yeah. cool to hear cool. when you, when you kind of dived into you know writing you know um and you know the spin enemy ap punk yeah, planet yeah. what i mean was it, was it, did you feel pressure when you were reviewing or doing these things where you were probably friends with a lot of these bands and, um, yeah, what, what was sort of the, you know, how did you right. s- figure that out? Cause how did I, yeah, um, hmm. I, I didn't, I certainly, hmm. like, I don't know if it entered my mind that I, I, at least when I was trying to write it, I didn't think about who would read it, you know? Like, the only person I was trying to write for and sort of entertain was myself. So I never thought, like, if I write this, you know, like, gnarly Cobra Starship record review or something like that, right? Like, am I going to have to deal with the repercussions of this? Because I thought, like, then that, that like, I wouldn't be doing my job if I did that, you know? So, like, that stuff, it didn't enter my mind as much. Certainly... You know, back then you submitted a review. You'd have to wait two months for it to come out. You'd see some scans. You'd have some time to think about it. Once it became a reality, it was something tangible that I could hold in my hands. Perhaps then the thought occurred to me, like, oh yeah, this is probably not going to go over well or whatever. You know, like someone might get bummed on this, or I'm going to have to answer to this or whatever. Um, so, it, but it wasn't while it was occurring. Um, and it, you know, I think it's a at the end of the day, like, if I didn't, you know, if I didn't stay true to, like, either trying to find the story that I thought was worth telling or trying to assert my opinion um, in the most entertaining way I thought possible, uh, in that era specifically, it would have, that would have been um, counterintuitive to that job. So, did you feel it? It didn't really enter it. Did you feel like a, I mean, I, like I said, I, when I was, I think we were talking some of this, I mean, I think we were born pretty like too close to each other and, you know, same time in high school. I, I felt late, yeah. late high school, 
I felt it sort of popping. And then when I got to college, I just felt that there was this moment or this movement that I was talking about that no one was paying attention to. And they were still sort of mm-hmm. stuck in Limp Bizkit world and all those right. things. And, and it was like, I was kind of screaming from the rooftops, like these songs are poppy and catchy. Why is no one listening? And then, right. you know, certain people copied it and, you know, the, iterations of the, the the bands move on but did you, when you yeah. were writing and if it's you know ap and those places like were you yeah. having to kind of raise your hand sometimes and be like hey guys hold up this band's gonna be kind of <laughs> huge yeah i don't know i i think leslie simon was really good at that um i i, I wasn't like the forecaster as much you know like I, there were certain times where I, you know i pointed at like a say anything or a um panic at the disco and I was like this is definitely going to happen and then I, I you know was correct but I think you know there's just as many other times where I was maybe not so like I don't think I was that um that wasn't necessarily my role as much um but I will say that um I do know what you're talking about like I remember feeling like the first time I heard clarity that that was going to be never mind you know like yeah. I remember thinking like I got the super as it might have been cassette at the time um, of it or or CD, um, and I remember I getting the advance and listening to it, and being like, "Wow, this is done!" Like you know, like the promise ring is definitely not selling my Zine on tour anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> like, they're gonna put out very emergency, and uh, it's gonna be huge, and they're gonna go sign to MCA or you know Capital or wherever I thought they were gonna sign at the time. And they're going to be huge. And then that, then something to write home about came out too. And I, I remember in that period, I was like, really was expecting all those albums to be pretty big. Um, Clary clearly was not, um, other than the blip of, of Lucky Denver Mint. And the promising record was not. And, you know, down the line, I mean, something to write home about certainly was. And that kind of started the, the, the entrance into the mainstream for a lot of the fans that, kind of came from that world but yeah I, I did feel like you know in that sort of like late era for the second wave that it was going to become huge and it didn't and I remember when things started to get huge I can point to like probably three or four times where I was like well it doesn't it's not going to get bigger than that well like, that's, that's the thing possible. I was thinking like Weezer with Get Up Kids Tour Roseland yeah, like sure. buses yeah. and fucking like crew mm-hmm. members everywhere and I go holy right. shit I remember saying that at the show. (laughs) Yeah. And then a year later, it's like Dashboard is doing Unplugged, you know? And I remember when that happened, I was like, and he was on Spin, like the cover of Spin twice in a year. And I was like, well, well, that's clearly, that's it. Yeah, right. It's not going to get bigger. And, you know, like, I think the last time I was like, there's no way it could get bigger than this uh, was when um, I saw Fall Out Boy at Bamboozle 2006, I think. And I remember standing on stage and just looking out and it was the entire parking lot and it was, you know, 40,000 people or 35 or something like that. And I was just like, no, that's, this is going to be as big as this scene gets. And maybe in some ways that was it. Maybe that was sort of like the peak of the mountain to some degree. Which is, but which is funny. I just like think. Fall off of, what's that? Right. Were you going to say something? Oh, I, I was, yeah, no, I was just going to say, cause I think, I think what, why obviously every single one of us that had been involved in the independent scene look watching these things anytime you watch a band even if obviously you've got no emotional 
connection or you fucking hate their music, uh, but they come from an independent background, as you watch them ascend, it's just like, it, it becomes surreal. And like, obviously, once they yeah. become popular, they become, you know, sort of outside the sphere of what you see or what you pay attention to. Like a band like My Chemical Romance is the perfect example where it's just like, I mean, this, you know, it's like anytime like my dad downloads a song by a band that obviously has like an independent context, I'm like, are you like, this doesn't even make sense. And it's like, right. and at, the, at the time, it's like obviously all those bands were being exposed to people that would literally have no context for what a scene meant. <laughs> and then right. we're sitting here going like, what? How does this make sense? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I think, you know, for a while, too, it was like you would see um, some of the bands that were really, like, you know, exploding in the mainstream. Like, there was no denial that they kind of came from, if not the same world that I came from, some sort of iteration of it. So I felt like, you know, seeing Mike Cam and um, Fall Out Boy and certainly, like, Thursday and Taking Back Sunday, when I saw all of those bands get big, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the same thing I saw happening. You know, this, this is exactly that. Um, I think after their success, it was a little harder for me because it was like, yes, they were coming from a scene that was only like this mainstream punk scene, you know? So it was like, and this is a flag on them. I think they've actually written some really great pop songs, but like a band like Paramore, it wasn't like, you know, they were they they kind of like slugged it out necessarily or or, you know, even saw the world that some of the bands that came before them came from you know it was it was more the path was more defined a little bit um you know i was thinking too trev is the you know from the sort of the the interviews that you were doing in the sort of writing era was there any favorite from the emo world that sort of you know stuck out to you that I mean, I want to bring up the Ian um, McKay interview, which I think is hilarious. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But is there any others that kind of stuck out with you that you feel sort of you read now and you're like, holy shit, that really exemplifies that time and that 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 era and all of them. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, not like like I nailed it, but I don't mean it like that. Like, but like I can't read those. Uh, well, for one, I don't. You know, I, it's not like I go back and read that stuff that much. Um, but, uh, when I do, there's no way I can't think of that particular time in my life, you know, like that 2003 to 2000, um, 2003 to 2007 era where I was living in New York and, um, or preparing to move there. Um, and I was watching all these bands get super huge and uh, like I just, you know, said a few minutes ago, like for every expectation kept like getting surpassed. Um, I, I can't help but look at that stuff and think like, God, that was so crazy that happened, you know? And like, part of me thinks like, you know, I don't know if that'll happen again. The way, in the way, and that's not a good or bad thing, but like, I don't know if you'll have a thing where the mainstream will embrace a, a scene sort of like that, or or a genre, a, a seemingly new genre, um, and seemingly everything it does explodes. I no. think um, I think that's the last scene because I just just me throwing because I didn't have a cell phone until it was two thousand, and I feel like mm-hmm. it was bubbling like ninety seven ninety eight. You know, you got clarity, you have something right home about. You've got all those things kind of popping, and then it it came yeah. out and internet and being able to share and Napster right. and it's just like that. It was still you still had to go to the show. You still had to 
you know, borrow your friend's mixtape. You had to listen to the right. radio. Um, yeah. And now it's like, yeah. And, and a... like, and I don't know, like, I mean, I think to some degree, like, you know, indie rock or whatever, it's, you know, has kind of fulfilled that a little bit in the, like, the, the, the late thoughts, I guess, um, into now, you know, like it's certainly a band like Phoenix putting out a record like, like, Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, where it was, you know, I, they were probably playing Sour Ballroom size venues at the start of the tour, and they ended it at, at Madison Square Garden with, with that punk coming out. Like, certainly that's probably as important as Sugar Were Going Down and Giant Stadium. You know, like, that, that, that I, I kind of think is, 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 is close, you know? Um, but, again, it's, it's, I mean, it, it's close, but, you know, I, I didn't touch it as much. Um, but I don't think, I don't know if I will be part of, like, a scene, so to speak. Yeah, and then I wanted to, you know, I, I think I want to get into this um, just because I'm, I'm, I was fascinated by it, but the book... Um, you've talked yeah. about it a bunch. You've done interviews. I just I have a couple funny sure. things that I want to mention about it. Um, you, it there's okay. there. I did some research. Um, you you still have a MySpace page for it. Um, you guys have an. Old, uh, that's probably true. You have an old school badge on there. I don't know what the badges are, but it, there's an old school badge saying you were there at the beginning of MySpace. Eighty five hundred fans huh. still commenting. There's still people commenting. Um, yeah. And then I also did a used. <laughs> Amazon sale. Um, I wanted to see yeah. your book versus Nothing Feels Good and versus oh. Leslie's Wish You Were Here. So if, oh, no. if you'd like, <laughs> if you'd like, I'd like to give the used price. Now I did an average, but I'd like to give you the used price. Um, Wish You Were Here, two dollars and four cents. Nothing feels That's good. Average used price. Average used price is two dollars and four cents. Nothing feels uh-huh. good. Book, uh, two dollars and eighty four cents. Uh-huh. Ready for yours? Uh yeah, is it ninety nine? Three oh four. Three oh four. So we win by That's what I'm saying. You guys won. This is you. You guys have come out on top. That's my way of figuring. Uh, out. We would have won if we got a movie deal. Yes. <laughs> that's definitely that's definitely the definitive uh, you win statement. Hey, you're not in the ninety nine cent bin yet. Yeah. There, but yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> so, I don't know. I thought um, it was hilarious because I was like, holy shit, there's all right. these old books that came out, and I'm sure there's all these people that bought it that thought it was just going to have stuff about Dashboard Confessional in it, and there's other right. things about bands they don't know about, and they threw it away, or their parents bought it for them. Um, you know, what was I just, I'd love to get into your head of like, hey, Leslie, you want to do a book? All right, let's do it about this. And I mean, how did how did that happen? Is that the question? Yeah, I mean, or even just yeah. you know, you've got um, you know, Greenwall doing the forward. I mean, you've got everybody involved, and it was sure. it was sort of that time it came out. It was it was it was a, it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a really exciting time. Um, yeah, it, you know, I, I remember Leslie. It, you know, Leslie had an idea to to do sort of a manual. Uh, about about emo, um, and she. I remember when she asked me if I'd write it with her. Uh, we were at Miss Shapes in, in New York, speaking of that time and things that have uh, gone by the wayside. I guess uh, we're we're at Miss Shapes, um, 
And, yeah, she, I just remember sitting at the bottom of the stairs, and she told me, like, I have this idea, I want to do this thing with you, and I said, sure. I mean, like, that was kind of my reaction to anything back then. You know, like, I was sort of game for anything, and that, like, from large-scale projects like that to, like, weird hangouts. So I was kind of like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. And, you know, then she kind of told me what it was, and we spent the next two months sort of trading emails and ideas and sort of started putting together, you know, a proposal for it that, that the shape of it evolved a little bit in that that process. And then, you know, we, we put it out. We, we, got, we had an agent who then went to many publishers uh, and to our surprise, many publishers were interested. And that was kind of it. It was, I remember, I remember, I remember being home, home being here um, from New York uh, for Christmas going into 2005. I remember saying to my family, like, I think this might happen. And being like, that seems crazy, but sure. <laughs> like, whatever. You know, like, books, they're totally easy to publish. You go for it. And so uh, I remember being pleasantly surprised when I came back and, you know, I was having options and I was talking about it and, it was, you know, it was really a, a quick experience, but really exciting um, and very, you know, I, I, I look back on it very fondly. And, um, yeah, I just remember coming out and sort of, like, weird things happening, you know, very quickly. And, like, us, like, being on TV or, like, us doing <laughs> morning radio, you know, like, weird things like that that, um, again, you know, I thought we'd put it out. We'd have a, a party at um, a bar in the Lower East Side, and that would kind of be it. And then, it, you know, it continued and continued, and sort of like because of it, I ended up, um, you know, changing jobs, really, because I enjoyed marketing it so, it so much. But, um, yeah, it was a really exciting time and really a cool, a cool thing. And, um, you know, Leslie just put out a new book a couple weeks ago, and I went to her her sort of event for it here in Los Angeles uh, last week, and it was cool because I'm standing there and I was kind of standing by the side of the the table where she was signing, and uh, it was neat to see like you know uh, what appeared to be like a 19 year old girl in a Save the Day T-shirt, you know, um, <laughs> getting this book that's completely about something different. Um, Signed, you know, and I'm just looking at her and being like, that girl's wearing a Save the Day t-shirt. Like, that's awesome. Like, you know, that's great that, like, this person probably still knows Leslie from that, and they're interested in what she's still doing, and that, that there's still some sort of lineage there. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was awesome. It was a really cool thing. It's please, brought up. Please. Please, please tell me that you, uh, you get, like, 15-cent royalty checks every so often. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't get 50 cents checks. Um, I, yeah, it, it was, it was a popular book, but, um, I don't think like, you know, I, I don't see 50 cent royalty checks. I, yeah, wish I, I, I mean, for, from what I understand, book deals aren't like record deals where they give you a sizable advance of they know that you'll never coup and they go, all right, enjoy. <laughs> well, I think they do. I just think that it's like, um, the costs are different, you know? So it's like, you know, you do get an advance, but what are your costs? You know, it's like, okay, your advance is X amount. Do you, 
you have to live for six months and you already have a laptop. So, you know, like, I guess you don't have to go to a cabin in, in, you know, Woodstock to write this record, you know, and whatever, have like a guru on site to make sure that your head's in the right space. You know, it's, it's just like totally like different circumstances. And that must also uh, totally speculative on how answers <laughs> are given to me. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever uh, have you ever wanted to uh, write another book based on this experience? I mean, not like obviously same subject matter, but uh, something completely different. Uh, I no, I don't think I'd write another book. Um, I, I, it's it's weird. I, I, it was so much work, um, and it was really rewarding in that time. And there was something about me being, you know thinking, gosh, that was a really great experience. I don't know if I'd want to continue to do that over and over again and it becoming routine. Uh, so I, I don't think I would. Um, I'm pretty happy with not being uh, an author or uh, a writer anymore. Cool. Did you, I mean, what was your th- thoughts on the Nothing Feels Good book? Um and, I liked it. Yeah. People, I know people have like a, you know, a sort of dicey relationship with it sometimes, but like, I've always been a fan of Andy's writing. Like, I always thought he was a, he was a great writer. Um, and I, and I think he was honest about it. That was the thing that kind of always bummed me out when people kind of got down about him. Cause I think their, their thing about it was that he was sort of like a tourist, you know, like it was this guy who clearly was like the go-betweens or whatever, um, like who kind of, you know, observed the emo, uh, the, the initial emo boom, mainstream boom, um, and then wrote a book about it and sort of got, you know, a, a good amount of, you know, notoriety or just attention from it. But I thought that's how he wrote it, you know? Like, I don't think he's, you know, proclaimed to be an expert, you know, um, or someone who has lived it. So I thought it was, the book was really honest. I thought it was, you know, well-written. I think that, like, to this day, there's probably nothing more definitively. There's no better definitive um, version of the the Chris Carabi story than the one that exists in that book. I thought that the, that portion of it was really strong. So I, I was a fan of it, um, and I, you know, I bought. I, I continued to try to seek out his writing when I can. But I think he's, from what I recall, he's like, sort of like screenwriting or something like that. We, we had spoken like maybe a year, two years ago or something like that. I feel like that's what he's doing, but I don't want to misrepresent what he's actually doing, but that was my recollection. Yeah, I think too, uh, do you feel like that there will be, and this because you're a writer and I actually have always wanted to ask you this even outside of this podcast was, you know, Michael Azarad did Our, Our Band Could Be Your Life, which was yeah. a great book. Do you feel because of the sort of impact that the, the emo scene did. Do you feel that, you know, 10 years from now, there's someone's going to have a book that is sort of from that. It is even more entrenched right. or more. T- I, I, I yeah, don't know. Right. Like insert, insert blast jobs that other replacements and yeah. like, or whatever, like some sort of, right. Texas um, is, Texas. I, the reason, I, I'd you know, buy it if yeah. they did. <laughs> like, it would interest me, um, and I certainly think that those bands, you know, in a weird way, were just as influential in sort of casting the mold for certainly 
some things that bands did sonically, but like also like how bands, you know, the career paths they took, you know, and that's kind of like our band could be your life was sort of like, you know, very much about the integrity of doing things independently and how those bands lived and how they came up. And I think, you know, if, if I'm trying to give a good example, um, you know, if I was a data remember, I probably would have studied very closely to how Taking Back Sunday or Thursday navigated those early parts of their careers. Um, I don't think it's that different. Um, so it would be interesting to me if that occurred. I certainly think there's enough people who will at some point not just, you know, someone asked me this, the, it's been a while since I've been interviewed about emo kind of stuff, but I remember when I was uh, being interviewed for the AP oral histories, uh, the ones about AP, um, and the guy writing it uh, asked me if people, he thought, the, the era that like Leslie and Jonah and myself and a couple other people kind of were, were really integral with, like if we thought that people would look back on some of those records as like classic records. And I was like, like if you're asking me if Deja Antondu is to be looked at like blonde on blonde or whatever, you know, like, like Sergeant Pepper is like, no, it's probably not going to happen. But like, do I think that, that, a, that's not fair. You know, like I feel like a lot of people might flag it off because it was just this sort of moment in time. That, you know, they might take Dejan Tondu and, and put it in the same like regard as whatever the Spin Doctors record was or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they might just be like, oh, that was this moment when these bands are all breaking at the same time. And I remember that one song, and and that's their only reference for it. But to me, um, and I'm saying this to him. I think that's really unfair because I think that musically there were just really incredible records that perhaps were, were sort of slided off because they happened in that period where emo broke in the mainstream and people might just, you know, kind of take a cursory glance at it later, you know, 10 years from now and not be like, hmm, maybe I should check out, you know, whatever, War All the Time or, you know, these handfuls of our, you know, Black Parade, which was a really great record. Or, you know, there's a ton of them that I thought, gosh, this is really good, and I would be interested in hearing this in, you know, years from now. So I hope people do. Um, I don't know if they will. That's the thing is it's like, you know, like the replacements for, you know, records, <laughs> like Let It Be, that mm -hmm. people will always continue to buy. And... I don't know if Tell All Your Friends is that record. To me, it is. You know, I, I think there's great songs on it, and I think it's, it's continued beautifully worth revisiting. So, um, I, I mean, people it'll can... It'll be interesting. I, mean, I don't know how it'll be. It's so close, though. I mean, people are certainly clearly nostalgic for it based on some of the stuff that's going on. Um, I'm sort of seeing those bands that, you know, broke then. Well, I think... Kind uh, of I mean, joined, uh, doing these uh, the sorry, uh, no 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 sorry it was uh, the Skype was killing me um, the uh, uh, the you know the refused record um, the right. shape of punk to come I mean that's when you have you know you read Guitar World and all the guitar players for the new metal bands put that down as their favorite record sure it's obviously gotten to a different place than maybe another record that came out <laughs> around the same time right right and maybe people wouldn't have thought that you know 
five years ago or something like that. Like, I wouldn't have thought, oh, yeah, that's a, that's a classic record. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it, those things are really hard to, to predict or tell, and um, I don't know. I, I hope so. I really think that, like, in that time, there was some really great music coming out of that world. So I hope as years go by, people kind of look back on it and say things like, you know, Hand Down's a pretty good pop song. Like, like, I gotta give it to that guy. That yeah, was a great yeah. pop song. So, that's, yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I guess, you know, a couple other things uh, before I let you go is, you know, um, when you were working um, at um, MySpace, I mean, I still consider that sometimes some of the, you know, the last sort of emo era. Um, was it mm-hmm. was it interesting then, too? Any interesting anecdotes or things that you sort of felt from that time frame um, that yeah I mean a lot of interesting things certainly happened in my time there um, but you know the thing that I would say a lot um, to people there um, and that you know probably even some even up until my last day as I said we changed music in the still days no matter what people say about it you know, now or it will, they'll continue to say in years and years from now. You know, uh, it did. I did, you know, it socialized music. It um, kind of removed the barrier between the artist and the audience in a way that was just so substantial, I feel like. And it led, it, and it really, like, is, it was kind of the first run of discovery that is, you know, so integral to something like a Pandora or Spotify or, you know, whatever, go down the list. Um, Discovery was such a huge thing there. And and it really opened up the way that you could consume, find, and fall in love with music. Um, I mean, what did you do? You you typed myspace.com slash the band. Yeah. And that's, it was like, it was in your head to do that. And then you check their top eight. Yep. Oh, who's? Like, who's that band? And then you checked out that band, and then you sent them, you know, a message maybe and said, like, I book shows here, or, like, I really love that song. What's it about? And wrote you back. And that that stuff all exists still. It just exists in different ways. And so to kind of... It's, just a, it's, just, a different, it's just a different vehicle of communication. Like, this was obviously yeah. MySpace was just... A, it was a tool, and people utilized yeah. it for as much as they could until there was something else that came right. along that and, was easier. Right, and that's the thing. It's like all the fundamentals of it, it just fragmented. And in the ways that it fragmented, you know, those places that sort of just focused on those one things did better. And and that's, like, no one would deny that. And so it just became the way that we consume music now. And we do it across, you know, 20 platforms or something. So it's, it's it, you know, but to see it all happening as it did, it was really exciting. And it was, you know... It was I I enjoyed my time there a lot. So you know, you gotta do a lot of cool things. I gotta go to Hawaii with Tom. Dude, I was about to say, Ray, I don't know if you know about this, but I pulled off the biggest coup at a label I think ever. Did you hear about this, Ray? I don't think so. I there was a I worked Willie Nelson record and um tr- uh, Trevor's coworker, Isaac, um got Band of Horses to play a Willie Nelson show in Maui and we got to go out there for a MySpace secret show and I got to go for like a week and it was I just felt like I, I just for the record did not go for a week 
Oh, I did. I totally went for a week. Yeah. I left. Um, and I ended up getting upgraded to first class the whole way. Um, yeah. It was absolutely None of these things happened. But I did go. I did go there. But, like, I see yeah, none of those things happened. Did you, did you, didn't you come to his house? Did you... I did go to his house, and that's, you know, one of those things where, like I said, you know, like, the, that time was just so crazy. You know, there's so many crazy experiences that I can recall from it that were just incredible, like going to Willie Nelson's house, you know, um, meeting Robert Smith and, you know, everyone else in the cure and their children, you know, like just so many different things that happened while I was there that were so incredibly exciting, um, and new and crazy and not expected or so, you know, I think anyone who worked, I would say it was a really exciting place when they worked there. And I think, I think it's a really good bookend because the MySpace feel and that era and those bands and they were just using it so heavily and yeah. you you felt connected. It's just as you know, Twitter felt connected when it first started. Like MySpace, I feel like for a really long part of it, felt you were connected to the band if you were friends with them um, yeah. on that, and you could message them, and they would write you back. And it, it, the I think that was I don't know. It just it's it's but, it, it felt like you were connected. So. Right. Well, one of the things that I always thought was great was like you know. I, the band looked at the platform that way, you know? I recall very vividly trading emails with the singer from Flea Foxes, you know, like trying to get his profile all straight. It's just funny because he was the same guy who was like, can someone mercy kill my space or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, like there was a time where he was like super invested in it. And, you know, like it didn't seem weird that it was like, I'll just email this guy at my space and we'll just get it done. And like the barriers around music, when that platform, you know, became so ubiquitous, just started started de- deteriorating, um, and that that's an exciting was an exciting idea, and clearly continues to be an exciting idea in other parts of the, the space. Yeah, so, yeah, it was fun. Well, I think um, we yeah. definitely you know spoke for a little bit. I got some fast questions to ask. Um, okay. And uh, then we'll be done. And um, oh yeah, last thing, where is the Jawbreaker T-shirts? What's going on? What happened? So this is an interesting story. <laughs> I blame all of you for this. <laughs> I mean, all of you. Quick, it's quick, quick note. Here. Trevor made some Fugazi shirts. All these bands wear them. Trevor posts them on his Facebook page. <laughs> people get yeah. people get stoked. I get stoked. Um, yeah. uh, people still look at me funny when I wear it, and then I have to explain. But there's supposed to be a Jawbreaker one, and right. it's not and so in my like inbox it, yet. Right. So the Fugazi shirt was the, the band, all four of their names, like those sort of hip-hop shirts or uh, like Beatles shirts, and say like John and Paul and Ringo, whatever. And so I made some for Fugazi that were just Ian and Ian and so forth. And people like those, as Tom said. So then I thought, what a great idea would it be to do the four Jawbreaker albums as a shirt like it's that? It's a fantastic idea. <laughs> right. So it's a great idea, right? So I mocked this up. I put it up on Facebook and Twitter and said, again, do you guys want them? By the way, I, I mean, I'm sure the usership or, um, or your whatever, your, your podcast base is, is huge, and so I will clear my name through this. Um, I give away the Sugazi shirt. I have never made any money on it. In fact, I've lost a lot of money making these. <laughs> um, 
So please, anyone who wants to like tell Discord that I make them, please let them know that I lose money on them and give them to people. Um, so the thought was that I was going to do the same thing with the Jawbreaker shirt. And um, I, like I said, the mock-up, all these people, I'll take one, I'll take one, I'll take one. So I ordered 34 of them, I think, because uh, the response was so great. They come to, to my office at work. I open them up. I'm like, yes, great. And I think I went straight from work that night to a show, and the person I was going to the show with um, had, you know, put their hand up and said, I, I would like one of these shirts. So I deliver it to him, who I also blame for this, because um, he used to be an English teacher. He picks up the shirt and goes, is that how you spell bivouac? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most literary pop bands possibly of all time. You cannot put those shirts out with a typo on it. No. So they're just becoming rags slowly but surely to polish my furniture with. You know what? Those can be used like they have, you know, when the NBA championship and the other team that loses, but they still make the shirts and they send them somewhere. Yeah. You should do that. Yeah. I know how serious you are about T-shirts because I shouldn't have thrown out half the T-shirts I did because you would have bought them off me. That's true. Ray, you need to talk to Ray after this because, Ray, I think Uh Trevor might buy some of your T-shirts. Yeah, I have them. It's weird, too, because I don't wear T-shirts, really. (laughs) But you buy them. You don't need to to explain yourself because there's a comfort in owning T-shirts. Like, There's a comfort in, for me, owning an extra-large chokehold T-shirt that I'll never wear. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't wear T-shirts in my day-to-day life that much anymore. Um, but I, I will wear them when I go do yoga. <laughs> and it's like the raddest feeling to be the, the guy at yoga wearing a Inside Out No Spiritual Surrender t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking like, maybe someone will know. <laughs> like, maybe someone's going to be like, dude, Burning Fight, that's not one of the best hardcore songs ever. <laughs> but that doesn't happen. <laughs> Are most of them extra large? Because when I saw Chokehold, it was just extra large. I couldn't get anything smaller. Oh, all, you, my, all my shirts are. are dude, you can't. Really they, me, me, anything smaller than a large like did not exist. Period. <laughs> yeah. I have like I have like yeah. I have like four outspoken shirts that I would wear every day if they were a reasonable size and didn't look like a dress on me. Right. Yeah, especially when you buy them from eBay, too, they have like you know. They, got show, they have show neck on them? Or it's... Yeah, show neck. That was like, this is like a really funny, like, this is one of, I'll try to like keep this short, but this is such a rad thing. You were asking about um, when I first started going to shows, and when I would go to the hardcore shows that would happen in you know, either Hunting Beach or like in like the Caneo Valley, or there was some that actually happened in Simi Valley. Um, there was like this like game where if they didn't like you, and you like went to like crowd surf or stage time. Um, if you crowd surfed, I suppose you probably deserve this because crowd surfing at that point was like reserved for primus shows. But like, like if you did that and they didn't like you, they just grab on your neck and just like fuck your shirt up, basically. Wow. <laughs> and, like, yeah, and they were like the stretch neck poppy. Like I don't know if they were called that or not. So like we were in your shirt boys or I don't remember what their like title was, but they would do that. I remember being like. I was really young. Like, I mean, you, Tom knows that I look pretty young as it is. So you can only imagine me at, like, 13. Like, I looked like I was 8. Like, and I had, like, you know, 
the total skate, you know, 90s, like, huge shirt, huge pants, like, I was so young, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go up the stage dive. Like, what was, I don't know why I thought, like, yes, these guys who are, like, 19 are totally going to be like, that's awesome. That eight-year-old just did a stage dive. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Like, yeah, so I would just like, end up with these, like, Gorilla Biscuits long sleeves that, like, I couldn't, like, they'd be so stretched out, I couldn't wear them, you know, like, they'd like, fall off me, basically. Oh, I um, love that. The first shirt I ever yeah. bought was a, um, no one knows this band, Sam Black Church. Um, it was 2XL long sleeve. <laughs> Awesome. The hell was I thinking? Yeah, like why? Who were they thinking making that? Like, yeah. oh, it's sad. Nutty. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm so glad so we brought quick, up the t-shirts. Quick question. Yeah. That was that was it. Just the t-shirts. That's what's happening. I don't know. So, you know, I, I saw Duvin like whatever two months ago, and he asked me the same thing, and I had to show him the, the picture, and I was like, "You said you wanted one, and you didn't even notice this." Like. <laughs> All you guys are so quick to be like, I want one. No, no not one person. My favorite um, so thing. Yeah. My favorite thing to do at Equal Vision um, was to get back anything from the plant, the poster, and come in and go, "Hey, does anyone know how to spell November? Um, does it yeah. does it come with two V's?" And they'd be like, "What?" And then I just laugh. And then, but that was my lame oh, joke. Oh. <laughs> Right, okay, that's good. Yeah, I thought you meant, like, you were, you were the guy who were like, hey, you guys printed these. <laughs> like, and they're wrong. Like, and they really were, whatever. That's no, no, I would just fuck with them every time. <laughs> yeah, I got it. It's funny. Um, well, really quick, um, we could obviously talk for another 25 hours, but um, um, I do remember our pl- when you were on a plane and you were flying back and you were IMing me and it was like, I don't know, four hours went by or something. <laughs> you, were like, uh-huh. you were like, oh, I'm landing. I'll talk to you later or whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. that, was, that, was that seems like something I definitely did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but, about right. but real quick, just some fast stuff. Um, don't have to think about it too long. Um, favorite emo band from that genre? Of all time? Yes. Jawbreaker. Favorite record? Just record period? Let's oh, oh, oh. let's keep it with the theme, I guess. Emo record. I mean, it's gotta be tell maybe all your you. Yeah, maybe tell all your friends. Right. Hear you and tell all your friends. All right, that's that's good one, enough. One of the two of those, yeah. Um. Uh. What... Or even I will throw in the devil and God is raising inside of me. Wow. Okay. I think that's an excellent record. That's a great record. Um, I'd say it's up there. Um. Who would be um? What was a band? This is something that like maybe annoyed you. What was a band that was called emo that wasn't that you would just want to be like telling everyone like no, this isn't. Gosh, that's hard. I mean, yeah, that's hard because I want I want to think there's like a super mainstream version. Most of these rappers like Slug from Atmosphere. Yeah, I didn't get what was emo about him. That's a good you know? answer. Yeah, like I, I liked him. It was fine, but I was like, I mean, there's nothing remotely emo about this guy. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, favorite new band that you feel is influenced by older emo? Defeater. Defeater, nice. Good yeah. Call. Yeah. Um, and for everyone on the podcast, I'm gonna be putting links and stuff up. 
on watchemmo.com so you can find out all these bands because we've made all these obscure references that only Trevor and I know and you need to be in the know. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Band you wish you saw but didn't. Wish I saw but didn't. Um, same thing, emo only. Like we're, we we're can, not gonna go we, we can. Uh, so replacement or Nirvana or like whatever. No, I, about mine is Nirvana. I never got to see them. I was yeah. I, was way too I never young. got to see them. I, I never. Yeah, I never got to see the original Smashing Pumpkins lineup. Um, that was kind of a bummer for me. I'm a, I'm a really big Smashing Pumpkins fan. Um, but emo band. I wonder who. I mean, I never saw OG Seventy Real Estate. That would have been great. Um. Who else? I wonder. But I never got to see. Anyway, that's, 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 that's a good one. There's been a lot of hardcore bands too. Like I never saw a Gorilla Biscuits. I would have liked to see that. Oh, that would have been fun. Not even a reunion. Reunion Gorilla Biscuits. So. No, definitely not. Um, band you yeah. saw but wish you didn't. <laughs> God. Uh, <laughs> the years 2002 and 2007. Any opening band until they got good, probably. I don't know. I mean, that's. It's, I don't know. There, I saw a lot of stuff that I, you know, I don't know though. Like you know, they all have their merits. It just was for other people. Some of it, you know, like there wasn't anything where I just was like. I mean, I'm sure there was in the moment where I couldn't believe it. But yeah. There's nothing that sticks out to me like where I'm just like, that's it. I need that half hour back. Like, <laughs> Mine was definitely Broken Side. I definitely needed my half hour back. Yeah, well, well yeah, I've never seen Broken Side, but, dude, I would. Like, I mean, it seems like it could be entertaining. I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. And last yeah. one, um, do you feel, like, we kind of touched this on with the, our, our, our band could be our life, but do you feel that mm-hmm. these bands will be talked about in 10 years? Well, I mean, I just talked about Still Life, right? True. For, a, a few times. Um, and that band impacted, you know, I, I can't think that it's more than 10,000 people, you know, mm-hmm. in, in the course of the past 20 years. Still, it gets brought up. Um, yeah, I think so. And, uh, and I certainly, like like I just was saying before, I hope so, you know. Um, I hope that, you know, that, you know, full class is somebody's diary or their, you know, or let it be or whatever you know? yeah because the, those so. kids it's it, like you said you saw that younger kid at that show they're they're there they're trying to experience that moment and you know you saying that girl going up to Leslie like that is awesome to me I would like yeah I would help that girl out I'd be like do you want some records are you you know <laughs> n- not in like a weird way but like totally cool um and and just help and sort of be like wow if you've obviously looked back and you see yeah, the history. Yeah, and I think it will, and I think so. I mean, you know, I think that like every if the music was quality, it all has to stay. You know, like I went and saw Rice last night. It was such a fantastic show. You know, and I think that a lot of for a lot of people, you know, like that band might have ended after the artist and the ambulance. Mm-hmm. And I think they played maybe two songs that predated. 2005 maybe wow um, or 2006 yeah and you know like it was great and and i was just like if the music is great it's people will still come you know like to me i was like this is what i this was about the size venue i saw them on when the artists and the ambulance came out and here they are you know 
something like six albums later or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I, I do think that maybe some things won't, you know, endure the way others do, but, um, I, you know, I certainly think it all, it all has merit. Cool. People will continue to, to unearth it. So, yeah. Well, Trev, I thank you. I know we could we could spot. Hopefully, I can have you back and we can discuss some more sure. stuff. But um, it was awesome to have you. And uh, like I said, as as yeah, a friend yeah. is and being able to help, uh, you know, washed up email. I think I always love kind of hearing what you say about this because you wrote a book about it. That solidifies right. your expertise. And, and as far as email goes, I'm washed up. <laughs> <laughs> it's true.